0: Someone gave me the advice early on that if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. And at first I was like, this feels like bullshit. We should all ask for what we need. <laughs> but I will say that there is something to that. When you bring people into your journey and ask them for their thoughts on something, it really makes them feel like a part of the team.
1: Today's guest is Georgia Grace Edwards, CEO and co-founder of she Fly Apparel. After a summer spent working as a glacier guide in Alaska, Georgia experienced one too many frustrating bathroom breaks and pants that weren't designed for her anatomy. Along with the whole SheFly team, they've taken the company from a college project all the way to market, with appearances on the TEDx talk stage, mentions by Forbes and Outside Business Journal, recognition as the recipient of the 2022 Outdoor Retailer Innovation Award, and they've received funding from venture capital firms. As you'll hear in this episode, Georgia and her company are writing the blueprint for how things can be more inclusive more sustainable, and more efficient. Instead of just questioning the status quo, they're actively working to change it. So let's get into it. I'm your host, Liz Landine, and this is The Outdoor Entrepreneur. Hey, Georgia Grace, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, I want to first and foremost take a minute to set the stage for everyone of our current setup. So (laughs) at the time of this recording, which is September of 2022, I'm currently on a month long adventure around Colorado and maybe some people have been following along, but I'm trying to live and work and play from my camper for a little bit. And one of the locations I'm visiting is Crested Butte, Colorado, which just so happened to put me very close to where you uh, live and work as well, which is Gunnison, Colorado. And so uh, Georgia Grace and I decided to meet up in person to do this podcast. Uh, So right now we're on the campus of Western Colorado University, where SheFly Apparel Headquarters is located. And... Now we're doing this interview, albeit in separate rooms, just to kind of maintain sound quality, but she's right down the hall from me. We are here in real life and this is a first for me. So I'm really excited to be here and I just wanted to kind of set the stage for everybody, but also just say thanks for making the time to connect in person and do this podcast from your headquarters.
0: Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you uh, right down the hall, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny one of my favorite parts of being headquartered here is just that it's an awesome location for people to come and visit. So yeah, I'm excited too. Thanks for making the trip. Of course. All right. Well, let's dive in
1: then. And I thought where I start a lot of times is just from the beginning. And so maybe you can kick us off with where did the idea of She Fly come from? What was the spark behind it? What's the story?
0: So the idea for SheFly was born the summer of 2016. I was working as a glacier guide on the Mendenhall Glacier in Juneau, Alaska. And so I was spending eight to 12 hours a day up on the ice, usually as the only or one of the only female guides. And in comparison to the male guides, who could turn around to unzip boat, whenever, wherever. I found myself having to trek across the glacier, completely remove three to four layers while avoiding crevasses do my thing, put it all back on, and hike back to work. And that process was an enormous waste of time and energy. And it often left me feeling cold for hours after to the point where I started dehydrating myself. And by the end of the summer, I was like, wait, this is so dumb. I'm a guide. I'm responsible for other people's safety. I should be at my peak physical performance. And I'm not because I'm dehydrating myself. And so there has to be a better way to do this. And Why not just change pants so that they match everyone's anatomy? And so that was kind of the starting idea. I didn't really know how I was going to go about it, but it got pretty stuck in my head. And I was kind of obsessed with it
1: after that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm sure almost any woman listening in a a large portion of the audience is women and are into the outdoors on some level. And I'm sure a lot of us can relate. Yeah, (laughs) that's bad. I've had this frustration uh, in some form or fashion. All right. So you have this idea. You recognize this is ridiculous. Why don't we have pants that work for us as women?
0: Uh, So you have this idea. What happened after you had this idea? So then I went back to college and entered my junior year. Uh, I was at Middlebury College in Vermont. And I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of friends, friends have since said to me like, Oh, yeah, for the next two years, like all we heard about was this idea to put a crotch zipper and pants. But I didn't realize I had been talking about it that much. And so I finally had the opportunity to do something with it my senior year at Middlebury. We have a one month winter semester in January. So we call it J term. And I took a four week entrepreneurship class, where you went from a super rough prototype, to having a full business model, refining your pitch, and competing at the end. And so in those four weeks, I went from a really rough e and snow bib that I had sewn over Christmas break, uh, which was really interesting because I hadn't done that since seventh grade home ec class. So when I say they're rough, I mean, they were really rough. Uh, but they're enough to at least get people on board with the idea I was trying to sell. And then by the end of the class, I won the pitch competition at the end, which was my first $250 and that's what I used to take to the first local seamstress to start start improving on my design. And at this time, there were 2 co-founders who I was working with, Bianca Gonzalez and Charlotte Massey, who were classmates of mine. But we didn't really know each other well before SheFly started. They were 2 people who were as excited, if not more excited about the idea than I was and really encouraged me to go for it in the early days. And then after the class, I moved to Burlington, Vermont, right down the road. And I worked a bunch of odd jobs, like bartending and dog sitting. And um, I was an SAT tutor. And that was all so that I could live in Burlington and keep building out the idea from VSET, the Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, which is another co-working space. I'm a huge fan of co-working spaces. And then we became an LLC later that year. I got a Fulbright Fellowship, so I moved to the Czech Republic to teach English at a business academy, but Shar and Bianca were still in the US and kept plugging along and we ran a crowdfunding campaign on iFundWomen uh, more than tripled our goal and that was in the spring of 2019 and that was when things really started gaining momentum and becoming a little bit more real. Oh my goodness. I love this story. So I have
1: so many questions <laughs> to follow up from yeah. that. So they may be out of order, but I'm just going to throw them out there. So I'm curious, and before you attended this four-week entrepreneurship course, which I think is so awesome that that was offered, had that been something you were interested in? like, Was, was that something you would have done anyways? Or was it like, oh my goodness, I have this idea and uh, there's this course that would be perfect for me to take to be able to help possibly move this forward?
0: I think I was always interested in business, but I was at a liberal arts college. So that wasn't really an option of something I could specialize in. And I think I also always felt like you could only go into business if you had a good idea. And up until that point, I I didn't feel as though I'd had one. Middlebury has a really strong social entrepreneurship presence, both through like on campus spaces and speakers um, and other extracurriculars. And I always attended those events. So I think my interest was always peaked in. In entrepreneurship, but no, I, I had never planned on taking that class because, again, I didn't have an idea until I did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you have this idea, it starts moving forward, it's starting to pick up steam. You're out of the country, but um, your other team is here. So when did you kind of develop? I guess your your first. I don't know if it's a prototype or like when did you when did when did you start selling.
0: Yeah. So the first prototypes came in that, uh, let's see, December 2017, January 2018 time period, and then got refined throughout the whole rest of, rest of that year from local seamstresses. In the early days too, we, we had all these prototypes, but we were almost operating as more of a service as opposed to a product because classmates and professors and people from town heard that we were doing this and they would bring us their cross-country ski pants or their pajamas or their sweatpants and say, hey, can you throw a cross zipper in this? And our response was, we certainly can. We can't make any promises about the look or anything else. But people were just so excited about the solution we were providing. And um, we had a lot of really early adopters who were willing to just test out the functionality. And so that we didn't make that full transition of providing a service to providing a product really until that 2019 crowdfunding campaign. The money we raised there was enough to do our first production run in India in the same valley where the Dalai Lama lives, actually. And my co-founder, Charlotte, uh, visited the factory for three weeks and oversaw the beginning stages of production. And they were one of the few factories we could get to work with us because we couldn't meet uh, minimums, which tend to be quite high in the apparel industry. And they were fair trade, zero waste. So we were aligned on values. And they started production after the crowdfunding campaign and were two-thirds of the way through delivering the orders to of people who had supported the crowdfunding campaign when COVID hit at the beginning of 2020. And so then everything shut down. And at first, it was just going to be a temporary closure. And then by the end of 2020, it was actually, we completely went out of business. Your fabric and hardware and all of the other things that you invested the fifty-five thousand dollars you raised in are gone because they're not considered essential goods. We can't transport them. Our employees are home, etc. And so that was the first big roadblock because we still owed people orders. We couldn't afford to refund them, and now we also had no more raw materials that we could get any return back on.
1: Wow. Okay. So I want to hear the story of what comes next. How how did you move forward at that point? But can you just Maybe give a quick rundown for those who aren't familiar with uh, ifund women and that organization. I know a handful of people that have been able to raise funds for their projects and for their businesses through it. and it's really a great uh, a, a great way to do it and a really uh, great organization. So do you mind just touching on, on what it is and how it works?
0: Not at all. We're huge fans of ifund women. That was one of the first communities to really believe in us and then give us tangible advice and steps to actually execute on to bring the business to life. So what distinguishes iFundWomen from any other crowdfunding platform is two things. One, they teach you the strategy behind crowdfunding. So instead of just being like, "Okay, here's our platform, throw up your page, they walk you through step by step of how you should think about rewards and what your timeline should be and how to really capitalize on everyone in your network. Um, So instead of the giving a, a woman a fish. It's teaching the woman how to fish, kind of analogy. And then the second thing that really differentiates them is that even if you don't raise your goal, you still get to keep all the money that you do raise versus if you don't meet that on Kickstarter, for example, everyone gets refunded with their money back. Yeah, that's huge.
1: It I mean, is that's, huge. that's a big one. I know a lot of them, yeah, you don't get to keep that money and it gets returned if you don't meet your minimum.
0: Which doesn't really make sense because in the early days of a startup, like it's rare that you get everything you need from one source. You yeah. often have to kind of cobble it together from multiple places. And so every little bit helps. Um and so they were a great place for us to kind of dip our toe into the water of crowdfunding, um which ended up being a great opportunity to build up this community and get a lot of organic press and collaborate with other brands in our rewards offering. So that's when we did the first ever custom Kula cloth. Kula cloth is now huge but they were small too. At that time, Cool Cloth makes um, antimicrobial pea cloth. So that was kind of a natural alignment between our brands. And so that was kind of the beginning of a lot of our really important relationships, both inside the outdoor industry and I'd say just across all women in business. Okay, so
1: COVID hits, everything shuts down, everything's gone. What did you do? How did you handle that?
0: Um, I think first we sat pretty stunned. like. A lot of people in the world at that time, and just felt really stuck and unsure of what to do. Um, we didn't qualify for any PPP loans because we didn't have anyone on payroll at the time. This was still completely a side hustle that my co-founders and I were doing nights and weekends on top of full time jobs, like answering customer emails during our lunch breaks and after work. I would like run to the post office to try to fulfill other orders before it closed. So we definitely did not have a clear path forward at first but we knew we had to keep moving along somehow because we owed people product. We still had their money. And so Charlotte and I, um, our first step was getting a hold of a manufacturing and production consultant who had a lot of experience in the industry and a lot of connections to help us find a new factory. And so we paid this person as a contractor directly from our bank accounts. And that was good timing because the factory that we had tried to find ourselves after the first one, samples were coming back with like there would be a zipper on the thigh where our thigh pocket is, but there was no actual pocket. It was just a zipper that led to nowhere. And we asked for their environmental certifications. And those came back looking sketchy or not matching addresses. Um, And so it was really that consultant that helped us find our new factory where we are today, um, which produces for a lot of the big names in the industry. And that's allowed us to go from dorm room to the scale we're at now. And this production run we just did this spring and summer was 12 times the size of our first production run. So um, that was a big takeoff point for us. And I think another thing we started leaning into throughout the course of the pandemic that was a big big learning for me was how important it is to be transparent and vulnerable and honest about what's happening. I think we felt a lot of... People thought we were a lot bigger than we were at the time because of our social presence. And I don't know the way we communicated via email with customers individually, hands-on. And we felt this pressure to pretend like everything was fine and we had it worked out. But as soon as we started sharing our story in our newsletter and being like, look, this just happened. We don't know what the backup plan is yet, but we're working on it. And we promise we won't stop working on it until we get you your pants. That's when I think we really got a lot more buy-in from customers. And that is something that set us apart from a a lot of larger retailers who were also obviously having supply chain issues, but really not communicating much about it. So that was something that we we still hang on to and still is a big part of our philosophy is that we're upfront and transparent about everything that we do here. Yeah, I love
1: that message. And I mean, I just think of myself as a consumer and a customer and to be part of understanding brands and how they work and what's going on. And it's powerful. And I know when I see that, I'm like, Oh, where can I make a donation? Or, you know, how can I help? Or whatever it is, people people want to see you succeed. so. I think that's a really uh, great message for, for businesses to remember.
0: And out of those about 150 people who we owed pants to at that time, they waited over two years to finally receive them. And I think we did less than five refunds in that time. So to be clear, we would not be where we are today without that group of 150 people who really held on and were a part of the journey.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, All right, Georgia Grace, well, tell us more about SheFly as a company, what's the mission of the company, and I know you've mentioned the pants already, but talk a little bit more about those and what products you offer at this point.
0: So SheFly is a company that kind of lies at the intersection of women's empowerment and outdoor accessibility, and we envision a world where one day everyone can feel comfortable and confident and safe in the outdoors and not inhibited by their gear. And so the way that we do that is with a patented zipper technology. And so what that looks like in our first flagship product, which is what we call the Go There Pant, it's a three-season pant. And there are two important parts of the design. The first is that there's a second zipper that begins beneath the first zipper you're used to using to get your pants on and off. And it extends all the way to the back of the pant. So whether it's number one or number 2 she flies got you. And that entire zipper runs on the existing seam line in pants, and it's covered by a flap. So when people see our pants in stores, for example, or on body, you can't tell that there's a zipper there at all. It's extremely discreet, which is important to the product. And then the other important piece is that there's also a flap that runs the length of that zipper on the inside of the pant. And so that means it's always comfortable and your skin is never coming into contact with the zipper. And that design you will also see in our go there shorts which are launching in spring 2023 and then that design is slightly altered in some of our upcoming products uh, like leggings for example but they're not out yet so I can't share too much about them yet
1: very cool yeah well i'm happy you answered both of my questions i had which was around if you could tell like there's a zipper there and then also how does it feel against your skin so that's perfect both of those it sounds like you've
0: been very intentional with and and we had to be because we knew that if we were going to break into this market, we couldn't just solve for the bathroom problem. We needed to solve for a lot of the problems that commonly come up in women's pants. And so there are there's a lot of elements of design in these pants. So the waist is adjustable because we know that bodies, especially women's bodies, fluctuate a lot over the course of an adventure. And they're also harness compatible. So you can rock climb in them. And there's three different ways to wear the bottom of the pants so that you can adjust them based on weather, temperature, or height even. There is the biggest one that we tried to solve for was the lack of pockets seen in women's apparel today. Um, Charlotte and I gave a TED Talk in Stowe a couple of years ago. And as we were giving the talk, we realized that the blazers we were wearing had fake pockets in them. Which was really ironic (laughs) (laughs) to then give a talk about pockets. So our pants have five pockets and they're 48% deeper and 16% wider than the average pockets found in women's pants. So we needed them to be the best pant on the market, period, that happened to have this awesome added functionality.
1: Yeah, I love how intentional everything is. That's really great. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you have tons of thoughts, ideas, and shiny things swirling around that entrepreneurial brain of yours? Whether you already have a business or you dream of having one one day, it's always nice to have someone to talk to and run ideas by. So if you're looking for someone to share all that with and sort through it all, I got you. Grab a free 30 minute clarity call and let's have a quick brainstorming session. In case you don't already know, one of my superpowers is really simplifying things. So at the end of the call, you're going to feel clear, Organized, aligned, and ready to make some decisions or take some action from a place of inspiration and intention. People seriously love these calls and they get so much out of them. So if you think you'd benefit from something like this, be sure to grab one today. You can message the words Clarity Call to me on Instagram at Liz Landine or go to Lizlandine.com, scroll down the page, and click the button to schedule your Clarity Call now. I love connecting with listeners in person. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. All right, now let's get back into the episode. All right, so gosh, okay, again, I've got like four or five (laughs) follow-up questions to everything that was just said. But first I want to ask, just because I'm curious, how did you end up in
0: Gunnison? How did that happen? Yes, Uh, great question, because I didn't really know Gunnison existed until last year. Uh, I was living in Boston at the time working as an economic consultant. And throughout 2020 and then 2021, we're feeling still pretty stuck and slow moving. And so we turned our attention to things we could control. So that wasn't product at the time, but it was learning opportunities. And so we applied to a ton of accelerator programs. And the first one we got into was the Moosejaw Outdoor Industry Accelerator, which is hosted here in Gunnison on Western's campus in the co-working space where we're now headquartered. And the point of that accelerator was to really learn how to manage wholesale retail uh, relationships, how to get purchase orders. And we exited that uh, accelerator with a purchase order from Moostraw Mountaineering. And they paid for 50% of that upfront, which is pretty much unheard of in the apparel world. And then directly after that accelerator, we did the Mass Challenge Accelerator. Uh, It stands for Massive Challenge, and it's based in Boston. But we did it remotely. And so that was a couple hundred companies. And that taught us a lot more about fundraising and team structure and marketing strategy. And we ended up winning the top $100,000 prize at the end of that accelerator. And so that was kind of the point at which Charlotte and I were like, I don't know what other symbol we're waiting for. Like, this is when we should (laughs) go for it. Um, And so I was still uh, working remotely here from Colorado. I always assumed I would move to Boulder or Denver, where I have um, a lot of friends from college. But in Gunnison, we were able to secure a lot of local funding in several different forms and really important business relationships and resources that it just made sense to be here. I already knew I wanted to be here. And now there was actually funding and education opportunities for me to actually live in the Rocky Mountains. So that's why I'm here. Oh, it's, it's, it does seem like
1: such a perfect fit to be here.
0: Actually, yeah.
1: it just makes I a lot of really sense. I feel really lucky. Yeah.
0: But if anyone had told me at the beginning of last year that I would be living here, I would yeah. listen, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. Well, and I just, I love hearing all the different avenues that people maybe should explore or can explore when it comes to crowdfunding and all that, but also just these programs, these accelerator programs and entrepreneurial programs and different business programs that that are available out there that I, I feel like, you know, maybe we don't know that much about or don't talk that much about many times. So it's really cool to just see the different options and then how you took advantage of them. And it's really, uh, I think, you know, just a great reminder to us. And I, I as I hear you talking about the accelerator, I'm like, I want to be in this accelerator. Like, this sounds yeah. freaking amazing.
0: Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, the opportunities are out there. You just got to find them and apply to all of them because you never know what's going to stick.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, starting a clothing company, I have no clue how that works. Did you
0: I didn't either, <laughs> yeah. so like,
1: what were some of the roadblocks, I guess I mean, we've heard one of them. Covid was a roadblock, but outside of that, like, was it harder or easier than you thought, you know, to start a clothing company? and did you run into any other roadblocks, like right off the bat or or was it all in all outside of uh, what you've mentioned, you know, pretty smooth?
0: <laughs> I wish <laughs> so, every day, starting and working and building a clothing company is a challenge, apparel is a beast. And we have arguably chosen to pursue this at the worst time in history, (laughs) but we're still here, which is encouraging. I think there's the two biggest challenges for a lot of businesses, but especially apparel businesses are the first one that we talked about manufacturing and COVID and those went hand in hand. And the second one I would say is capital. Especially for apparel, because it's such an inventory backed business. So you're placing enormous purchase orders for units that you have to pay for before you can actually start selling the units. So there's always a lot of gap between money leaving the bank account and then money slowly trickling back in over time as you make individual sales. And it's really easy to get stuck in the kind of catch 22 of needing money in order to order product, but also needing product in order to secure money. And it's really hard to like break out of that. And it's a continual struggle. But we bootstrapped for a long time from a lot of different sources that ultimately helped us get to where we are today. But it's not easy. But it is satisfying when you figure it out.
1: Do you have any advice or things you found that worked really well when it comes to raising capital? I, I feel like people will want, want me to ask that question.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. And it's something we're always kind of looking for answers on too. I think that we felt a lot of pressure at the beginning from external sources to kind of do what I call the Steve Jobs model of entrepreneurship, where you drop out of college and move home to your parents' basement and kind of just like are a starving artist in a sense for as long as it takes. And to me, that model of entrepreneurship does not feel accessible or representative of real life for most people. And so we really prioritized investing in ourselves first. So we all completed our educations. And then we all got full-time jobs where we could build out skills and a network that we could then bring back to the business. And that created a lot more buy-in later from people like investors who saw the way that we bootstrapped for so long. And also, if we had been full-time with SheFly when the pandemic hit, like that mm-hmm. would not have been something we could have pivoted from like not being able to make payroll, for example. It was because it was still a side hustle at that point that I think we were able to weather the storm. So I think my advice would be bootstrap as long as you need to, for sure. There's no shame in that. I actually think there's a lot of admiration in that. But the moment that you do decide to dive in, make sure that you're funding yourself. Like We went almost 4 years without paying ourselves on this business. And I think we should have tried to prioritize that sooner. It was the cash prize for Mass Challenge that really allowed us to start doing that. And then that was something that we kept building into our budgets from there. And the other thing is that I'm a huge fan of crowdfunding campaigns, and I think everyone should do them. So I'm a huge proponent of those. And then on the more private equity fundraising side of things, it can be super hit or miss, especially in today's environment. And someone gave me the advice early on that if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. And at first I was like, this feels like bullshit. We should all ask for (laughs) what we need. (laughs) But... I will say that there is something to that when you bring people into your journey and ask them for their thoughts on something it really makes them feel like a part of the team and it's those people that either ended up investing in us or ended up connecting us to other mentors who ended up investing in us and so I think that's another good example of being vulnerable and bringing people into the things that you're problem solving that was a good starting point for us for raising capital
1: that is so cool okay so I just want to, I guess back up what you said, and I appreciate you know just kind of calling it out that like, well, first of all, entrepreneurship looks different for everybody, and it can be done on so many so many levels and in so many different ways, but this whole idea of like just jumping ship and <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's not necessary it's It's not how you have to do it, right and it can be a luxury, I guess, for some of us, like myself included. I had a job and I worked it for a whole year while I was working my side hustle, um, mm. which was really nice. And I know not everybody has that, uh, you know, has that as an option, but and if you do, it's really nice to be able to have that that kind of extra security, uh, and that little safety net. Versus, oh my goodness, like I'm not making any money and now I'm I'm working from a place of desperation and and all of that. So I, I just appreciate that. I I like to remind people, well, first of all, they can do it however the hell they want to do it. And (laughs) there's, there's lots of different ways to do it. You don't have to just go all in on day one.
0: I completely agree. And I, I think that a lot of times risk gets glorified because we only hear about the stories where taking an enormous risk paid off when in reality, like nine out of 10 startups fail, like, Yes, it's risky, but you don't have to like completely throw everything out the window. It's hard work, but I, I think I'm probably more risk averse than most entrepreneurs for better or for worse, or at least I feel that way when I talk to others sometimes. And I really think you have to be able to take care of yourself first before you take care of a business. I think it's like a relationship. Like you shouldn't be in one if you're dependent on it. You should be stable as an individual first and then choose to take on whatever's next. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So shifting gears a little bit, I'd love to hear your thoughts, your dreams, your goals on big picture. Uh, Again, just kind of dreaming big and bold. Where do you envision SheFly going as a brand and a company in the future?
0: I think that our technology is going to be the standard in pants instead of the exception. Um, It technically is a unisex technology. It works for everyone. We have a lot of men who where our parents currently and have been leaving reviews. And a big part of our future business model is based on the fact that we were able to patent this technology, which means we're able to get it into as many hands as possible through product collaborations and licensing. And so I wanna see this everywhere across gender boundaries and across industry, not just within the outdoor industry. There's a lot of work applications for this. I think there's a ton of military applications for this. So. We see this as being the new standard, so we have several steps <laughs> to cross off before that's the case. But I do think that's a reality.
1: Absolutely. Wow, that's so exciting as I hear you talking about that and mentioning just where it could go. Yeah, it kind of gives me goosebumps. That's pretty exciting. Yeah.
0: The applications are truly endless, which is both really exciting and feels like a a lot of pressure and it's kind of hard to decide which application we'll go for first and how do you solve all the problems and yeah (laughs) how do you write the blueprint for something that's never really been done before yeah yeah I uh, this is something
1: I just talked about in my group at the Elevated Entrepreneur Collective but it was a question I posed to the group which was what excites you like deeply deeply truly excites you and scares the shit out of you at the same time (laughs) (laughs) that's that sounds like it could be one of them it's like so exciting but it's it's so big and yeah that uh, would be my answer (laughs) yeah that's awesome okay so it's been a few years uh since you started this this beautiful company what are you most proud of to this point
0: Hmm. I'm gonna kind of cheat and say three things because I I don't think I can mention any of them without talking about the others The first is the product. When you compare the current model of the go there pant to what we did in our first production run, it is night and day. Or when you compare it to the first prototypes I made in college, I cannot believe how far the idea has come. We knew it was a good idea, but I think the physical manifestation of it is even better than I imagined. And we couldn't have done that without our team. I'm so proud of the team that we've built that has really brought this to life. And I think it's so special to be able to work alongside such smart and interesting and talented and really passionate people. And that is what fuels me every day. And then I think the third piece that I'm proud of is the community that SheFly has built. There were two and a half years there where all we had was community because we didn't have product. And hearing the stories of how this has made customers' lives better, especially working women who are breaking down barriers in all of these other aspects of life, whether it's trail crews or disability advocates, they're doing really important work in the world. And it is so inspiring to me to be able to play just a small part in supporting them on each of those individual journeys. And so I think that's why I wake up every day. And those are the things I'm really proud of.
1: Mm. That's beautiful.
0: I'm curious, you know,
1: you've been Been on this road for a few years now. You have this idea. You took it through to reality. You have built this business, and you know you're you're walking the talk. You're doing the things, and and you're on that journey. Do you have any entrepreneurship myths that you think would be helpful for people to hear?
0: Hmm. I think besides the risk it all, like you have to risk it all to make it happen, myth. I think that people. The perception of entrepreneurship, at least from the outside, and the perception I had is that entrepreneurship is all about pitching yourself constantly, like you're always the one talking. And what I have found, especially in this stage of growth, is that it's actually the opposite. The most important role that I play both on my team and externally facing is being a good listener and being an active listener. I think when people see you solve one problem, they expect you to kind of solve all of the problems and you become this kind of sounding board for everyone's grievances in the world, which is both a lot to hold and an honor to hold, I think. And so I I wouldn't underestimate the importance of listening. I think that was a big surprise for me um, because people teach you how to pitch or you can find opportunities to pitch, but learning how to listen, I think is quite different. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a myth about outdoor industry entrepreneurs specifically is that you should work in the outdoor industry because you get to spend a ton of time outside. (laughs) And I think that's a a huge (laughs) myth. I mean, being located here certainly helps with my work-life balance, but uh, I spend more time in front of a computer than I ever have. I was going to say it as you and I are both (laughs) sitting in offices. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah, (laughs) And then I think, I guess the last thing I'll add is that entrepreneurs in business, I in our society, I think we hold them as these really powerful, really strong people. And those things are true. But I think being an entrepreneur or building your own business is the most vulnerable thing you can do in the world. And so being prepared, or at least being willing to be vulnerable and like share your soul with the entire world to weigh in on, that's a really like bear it all kind of experience that I definitely think is worth going through, but is an aspect of entrepreneurship that I don't think anyone really ever told me about.
1: Yeah, oh, that like speaks right to my heart. It just opened right up, you know, and it's so true. It's It's hard, it's scary, it's filled with anxiety many times. <laughs> and judgment, right? I mean, yeah, uh, the potential for failure, right? And what does that mean? Forget what and everyone's going to think about you. <laughs> yeah, public failure, but also that internal failure of now I've got to deal with, what does that mean about me? What does that say about, you know, my abilities and my capability and all of that? So it is a very vulnerable place to be. And uh, I like to say, you know, it's just, not really for the faint of heart. It's, it's hard. It doesn't mean we're all going to succeed either, you know? So yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Let's see. I've got just a few more questions. What about your current situation or your current setup? Are you just absolutely
0: loving right now? So much. This is the hardest thing I've ever done, but I also think it's the most fulfilled I've ever felt. Uh, a big part of that is that two days for me are never, ever, ever the same. And I get to touch so many different areas of business, which means all the things I want to be curious about, I can be. And there's a lot of exploration there. Uh, I just get to ask questions all the time. And then I think it's not just that I get to question the status quo, but I can actively work to do something about it and to change it. And that's a really empowering feeling. I, I just... I love that I'm working on something that I actively believe is making the world a better place alongside people who are equally, if not more passionate about it, and are also trying to make the world a better place. And that's not something I've ever really experienced in any other employment opportunity before this. And then I just, I love that I get to meet so many new people and see new places as we travel to talk about our product and get customer feedback and all of that. All right. And then the flip side to that, coin.
1: what about your current situation? Are you maybe wanting to improve or get a little bit more dialed in?
0: Well, I think this has been simultaneously such a long and short journey. Like thus far, it's been a lot of like, don't let things fall through the cracks. If they fall through the cracks, like we have to retroactively fix them. Um, Just like doing everything last minute, kind of barely hanging on. And now with growing the team, I think we're switching more into this mode where we can have the capacity to be forward thinking um, and to be more proactive instead of reactive about things. Um, So that's something I'm excited about, but has definitely been something that has felt like a a big pain point for me, I think, up until this point. And so I want to work a lot on how we streamline our internal and, and personal processes as a team.
1: All right. Well, as we uh, start to wrap up, I'm going to ask where can people find you on social media? Where should they go to buy the pants?
0: You can find us at SheFly Apparel, S H E F L Y Apparel. And that's the same across Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, and our website is www.sheflyapparel.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter, which is the best place to find out about everything that's happening in our world. and promotions and sales and
1: all of that. Cool. All right. Well, the final question. So uh, as you know, I'm a business strategy and action coach. And my hope in doing this podcast is to ultimately inspire people to take massive action towards their own dreams and their own goals. To not just, you know, dream about it, but to do it and then to be it. So with that in mind, I'd love to close out with an action challenge. What's one thing you want people to get out there and do in pursuit of their own dreams and their own goals?
0: Mine is to make a list of the things that piss you off. I think uh, it was hard to break into business because again, I felt like I had to like have this really original new idea that was creative. And the way that you do that is not by feeling pressured to think of an idea. It's by looking to what you know best. And so the next time you feel angry or frustrated or upset about something I would say get out a notebook and add it to a list because the things that piss you off are the things that you're often best positioned to solve for and you'll be the one with the passion and the familiarity to do it so yeah (laughs) I love it that's such a good one
1: and I think that's a great way to phrase it like Uh, just to think about what pisses you off. And I feel like immediately it sparks something. (laughs) Like we can all think of something. And it's so interesting because this was just last night that uh, I was listening to a YouTube video um, uh, with Sabrina Lynn of Rewilding for Women. And she was interviewing, uh, I think his name is Andrew Harvey. And he was talking about something called sacred activism. And what he said was, of everything going on in the world, right? Of all the things that break your heart, what breaks your heart the most? Mm. And that's what you should be focused on. And so it just ties in so nicely because again, that was something when he, when he said that, it was just a nice kind of prompt, a nice kind of, you know, triggers you immediately. You can think of something usually. So I think that's another great way to say it. And I love that action challenge and I just encourage us all, myself included, to sit with this and uh, reflect on it a little bit and then find an answer.
0: I love that framing of it as well. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: All right. Well, this is a perfect place for us to close out.
1: We'll put all the ways that our listeners can learn more about you and your work in the show notes. And then just thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Georgia Grace. It's been So fun talking with you, so interesting and inspiring. So just keep living a curious and inspired
0: life and happy adventuring. Thank you and thank you for being a a platform for us to do so, it means a lot.
1: Hey friends, before we wrap up, I wanted to share a gentle reminder that one of the main reasons I started this podcast was to not only live my own inspired life, but to inspire you to do the same and to ultimately take massive action towards your own dreams and goals. So if you're enjoying this podcast and find the content valuable, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and I genuinely enjoy hearing from you. So please be sure to leave a review. If you're on Instagram, I'd love to connect. So follow at Liz Landine. And if you want to support me in the podcast further, you can show your support by one, shopping with our sponsors, and two, becoming a Patreon member of The Outdoor Entrepreneur you get some really awesome perks for being a member, including early access, exclusive bonus episodes, social media shout outs, and even a free business idea brainstorming call with me. All right, until next time, be sure to live life on your terms. And if you're not, make a plan and make it happen, my friends. Adventure venture awaits and it's all yours.